to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're picking up a story that we began back uh, in mid-September, I believe, is when we were at last were speaking specifically out of the book of Acts. We took like a three-week side road or side trip uh, and talked about some things about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we're picking up a story that, that you may remember that was on the day of Pentecost when uh, Peter, who began preaching to thousands of people uh, that, that had rushed to the temple square to see what the commotion was about. You may remember that, that they, they heard what sounded like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and they heard tongues of fire being spoken uh, by the disciples and the other followers of Jesus is there. And uh, Luke tells us that there were 15 uh, different nations represented there, and, and what was amazing to them was that they heard what the disciples were saying in their own language, meaning that uh, the 15 different languages, so they heard it in their own language, the disciples praising God. And, and some of the crowd, we've talked about this for a few, we thought that the disciples were drunk, and it was at that point uh, that, that Peter uh, who normally got into trouble every time he got up to speak, but he get, he stands up to, to address this crowd, and he begins to preach, and he tells them that what they had just witnessed was actually a fulfillment of a prophecy uh, from the prophet of Joel and some places in, in the book of Psalms that, that God will pour out, that God was going to pour out his spirit on all of mankind, and that God has made this Jesus whom they had just crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. In verse 37, I think is where we left off, it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts to the point that they asked him a question. The question they ask is, what's next, basically? What should we do? Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Uh, you've been exposed to the truth. You've been given knowledge uh, but now you're wondering what you need to do about it. So Peter says that if you want to follow Christ, that you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized. In other words, you need to repent. The word repent means to change the direction of your life. You need to turn from your selfishness and rebellion against God and place your faith and trust uh, in, in Jesus and look to him for forgiveness and guidance and purpose. And so for some of you this morning, that's your next step. It's time for you to go public with your faith. Specifically, you need to be baptized. Some of you um, have not been baptized yet. You've kind of been putting that off for, I'm not sure for what reason, uh, but, and we've talked about that it's not baptism that saves us, uh, that, that baptism identifies us with Christ and a community of believers, and it is a conditional of discipleship and a sign of faith. And so if you've never done that, what, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? And so next Sunday, we're baptizing. And so uh, if you, you want to be baptized, just let us know. We'll be ready for you. Uh, you don't even have to let us know. Just show up, <laughs> and then we'll baptize you. But, but look at verse 40. I love verse 40 because it says this, Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Like that? You think, I preached for a long time. He, pre he, he preached for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners to save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41 says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized, 
and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And so from here, uh, Luke gives us a picture of the heart and the passion of the early church. And a word that seems to sum up the, the early church was one word is the word devoted. But just the fact that these people were devoted isn't what set them apart. In fact, people today are just as devoted as the early church. I mean, all you got to do go on, on Sunday morning when there's a Chiefs home game, just get out there about the crack of dawn, and you're going to see all kinds of SUVs and, 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 and buses and stuff that, that are all painted up heading to the Chiefs game. They're devoted. Next month, some of you are going to get up out of a perfectly warm, cozy bed in the middle of the night to go out and kill a deer. Bunch of Bambi bashers. <laughs> Those devoted people everywhere. But simply being devoted wasn't what set the early believers apart. What set them apart was what they were devoted to. Before we look at that, I kind of want to share some things that I read this week from a book, uh, a newly released book called The Great Dechurching. The Great Dechurching. And it's actually a, a study. The book is actually a study of who and why people are leaving the church and faith and what it's going to take to bring them back. And the summary of the book uh, is extremely discouraging, but, but, but it's also uh, very enlightening. One of the studies that they revealed in the book was that the study found that the median average-sized congregation in the U.S. today is down to 65 people. Uh, two decades ago, that was 137. The study further revealed that more people, listen to this, more people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the people who became Christians from the first Great Awakening the Second Great Awakening, and, and, and all of the Billy Graham Crusades combined together. And then that may, mean, that may not mean a lot to you, but it reveals, that, and I think it's in your notes and on the screen, that this world is converting people to be against God faster than the church is converting people to be for God. So, so we're seeing a mass exodus from the church as, as people bow down, as, they, as people simply lift up their feet and go in the direction of the culture. The bottom line, we are living in a day when, when there's a massive cultural focus that, that's forcing Christians or wanting Christians to just bow down and surrender. Or another way to say it, to, to just give up and give in. So, so in record numbers, we're seeing a lot of people that are, that, that are walking away, and they're not just leaving church, that they're leaving the Bible and prayer and, and Jesus Christ. And, and what makes it even more concerning is that much of this is being led by pastors and clergy who are giving up or bowing down. As I heard a preacher say this week, there's going to be a lot of pastors in hell. The book of Acts gives us a picture of a church that doesn't bow down. And it's a good reminder of what we are called to be as, as followers of Jesus. Picking up in verse 42 says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. In your notes, I give you five things that they were devoted to. The first thing they were devoted to or committed to was Scripture. 
that they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Now, keep in mind that that there were 3,000 new converts added to the church on the first day. And that they were hungry to learn more about Jesus and the abundant life that he came to give. And the only way that they had to learn was through the teaching of the apostles. So from that, we, our takeaway for us is that, that we see that the best way to know more about Jesus and to go in our relationship with him is by reading and meditating on the word of God, to sit under the teaching of God's word. And as we do that, as we expose ourselves to that, we, we, we get to know who Jesus is, and our relationship with God deepens and grows. Just like in any relationship, it takes time and focus. I mean, think about it. When, when you fall in love with someone, you begin to focus and learn what they like and what they don't like, and you talk about expectations and future dreams. I mean, you want to know everything that you can know about that person, and that's because that's how relationships deepen and grow. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. You get to know him as you study the word and you spend time in prayer. The truth is our churches are full of a lot of people who think that following Jesus is simply praying a prayer and waiting on heaven. I mean, I'm going to fill out a card. They're going to present me from the church. I may even be baptized, and then I'm going to sit right on my rear and just kind of do what I want to do until heaven comes. But that's not it. Knowing and being relationship with Jesus takes time and focus and a whole lot of effort and perseverance, which is a problem today uh, because we live in a culture that demands and wants everything right now. But if we're going to know God, if we're going to be who he has called us to be, then we must be students of the word. And not only must we read or hear the word, but we must actually obey and do what it says to do. And this is so important, not only for us personally, but as we're about to see, the early church didn't keep it to themselves. And they're a picture for us, meaning that God's desire for you and me is that we reach out to to others with the love and the compassion of Jesus, that from experience and God's word, we share how to know Jesus and how to live a life that, that honors him. And all of that is found in God's word. Watch this. The world doesn't need your opinion. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what you and I think. It matters what God thinks. And so we better know what God thinks. And so to do that, we have got to be students of the world. And we need to be a part of a church that that preaches and stands on the authority of God's word. 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time will come when some people, well, people will not put up with sound doctrine. Think about that statement. They're not going to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Buddy, that's that's alive and well all around us right now. 
We talked about this before. It's common for people today to, to, to bargain shop for church. And that may sound a little bit weird to you, uh, but, but it basically that they want to go to some place where they can have all of their needs met, all of their family's needs met for the least amount of effort. I mean, I want a church that can meet all of my needs, but I don't want to invest my life or my resources there, and I don't want to be very involved. I, I want to go to a church that only talks about heaven and God's blessings, but I, I don't want to be reminded of my sin. It needs to be a no-conviction zone. So, so just a warning, be, beware of any church where the message is not out of the Word of God. Now, that may sound strange to you, but that happens more than you can you imagine i've said this before number one question that i get or got when living stones began is do you preach from the bible i mean doesn't that sound weird to you does that sound weird to you yeah make sure your pastor knows jesus <laughs> question how committed are you to the word of god do you study and read it on a regular basis are you, a, are you professing to be a Christ follower while neglecting his word? And if that's you, I encourage you uh, to, to work at setting a time uh, aside each day to read scripture. Your next step may be just to have a daily encounter with God through his word. Number two, the early church was uh, committed to community. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And I need to make a distinction here because most of us were raised Baptists. And so when I said the words fellowship right there, you immediately thought of food. In fact, in most Baptist churches, we can replace the word fellowship for the word swallowship. Because Baptists like to eat. Amen? Yeah. A lot of people are committed to that kind of fellowship. And we'll drop whatever we're doing, spend money we don't have to eat and a fellowship with friends. But the goal of the early church was not just to get together and have fun and fellowship. The goal was to grow in their relationship with God and with each other. They were committed to that. Verse 44 says, All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Verse 45, They sold their possessions and goods to give to anyone who had a need. And, and some people have read that and, and interpreted that to mean that the early church was socialistic or communistic, but that's not true because later in Acts, we're going to see that many of the people owned property. No one was forced or required to sell their possessions. They did this voluntarily to help those who were in need. Another commentary I read suggested that, that, that the reason that, that they did this is they pulled their money and kind of uh, spend it all on, on meeting each other's needs was that they were expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. I mean, it was kind of like an end times mania. Some of you may be alive to know, long enough to know back in 1988, and this is, I'm sure there were plenty of times I don't remember before then, but it went right after I'd moved to Blue Springs, and I remember a guy showed up at my door, and he handed me a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And there's people, man, Bought that hook, line, and sinker, and when he didn't come back in 88, I got another guy coming to my door and said, 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989, and then Y2 came come, and, and, and if you remember that, you know, the world was going to shut down at you know, the stroke of midnight, 
And, and listen, there were people during that time, because they thought Jesus was coming back in that time, that cashed everything in and lived for today. I mean, if you knew Jesus was coming back next week, would you pay your bills this week? No. And, and so the, the, one of the scholars that I read or one of the commentaries I read said that there may have been some there that, that, were, that were, were part of that. They thought Jesus, they, they heard that Jesus was going to return someday, and they thought it was going to be like in a couple of weeks. So, buddy, you were just going to hang out with one another and have a good time. I mean, they cashed everything in and lived for the moment. But later we'll see that, that Paul will collect some offerings from the Gentiles for these same people that had cashed it all in. There may have been some truth to that, but the very real truth, and what we can get from this, is that the early church helped each other. The reason they did was because in those days, it was extremely costly to follow Jesus. Meaning, meaning that many of them were cut off for their families. Some lost their jobs, others lost customers, others had to quit their jobs because it was contrary to their newfound faith. And so they helped each other. They considered their Christian community, or Christian friends, to be their new family to the point that they defended each other. And at times, they risked their lives and that they were committed to each other. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. And, and it carries with it the idea of sharing together and intimacy. This is why we, we can meet another Christian for the first time and immediately feel a kindred spirit. Have you ever done that? You met a new believer, and it's like, dude, I've known you forever. And it, the reason is, is, is because there is a unique bond between brothers and sisters in Christ. We have several things in common from our sinfulness and our need for grace to our common goal and destiny. We're, we're headed in the same direction, traveling on the same road. So biblical fellowship is, is a huge source of strength. And blessings for the Christians. That's why the writer of Hebrews uh, exhorts the church not to neglect meeting together. Don't, don't, don't take that so lightly. I don't know that there will always be some people who say they don't need to be in church to worship God. I mean, I can worship God on my bass boat or ball field or the golf course. And hypothetically, that is true. But practically, it's not. The takeaway here is that, that, that we cannot grow spiritually in prolonged isolation. I mean, you can grow bitter and resentful, and you can, you can become way more deceptive and grow like a dandelion in isolation, but you won't grow in grace and godliness alone. We all need encouragement and guidance and strength that comes from being together. Amen? And if you're not faithful to that, then not only are you hurting yourself, but you're hurting others. You're hurting the growth of the others in this fellowship and the kingdom of God. Now, watch this. When we consistently allow other things to keep us from worship, to keep us away from being with the people of God, well, when you kind of think about that, what we're doing is we're allowing something else to come between us and God. Something else. And there's all kinds of something else's out there. We're allowing something to come between us and God. And the last time I checked, that was the definition of idolatry. 
When we allow something or someone else to come in the place of us getting together. And I'm not saying you got to be at church every Sunday. I don't even want to be at church every Sunday. But if it's a prolonged thing, right, just kind of flip it. Well, you know, the wind's blowing a little hard today. I'm not sure I can make it. Or I'll go if I don't have something better to do. I mean, if there's a prolonged of that, then you need to think. You're allowing, you're going against what Scripture says. Don't neglect. Don't forsake getting together. There's strength as we come together. And I know those are strong words, but it's the truth. And it's an evidence as to why we see so many people these days that are walking away from the faith. They're walking away from truth. Our commitment to meet together is an act of obedience as well as an act of joy. Number three, that they were committed to worship. They were committed to worship. It says they were, they, they were committed to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And it was common when uh, the early church, when they got together, they, they would share a meal, and at the end of their time together, they would take communion and pray. And the purpose of the communion, purpose of communion, like we'll do this morning, is to help them and help us remember and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And the challenge is to celebrate communion as often as necessary to keep us focused, but not so often to where it loses its meaning. Some of you may have been a part of a church uh, where, where they serve communion every Sunday. And, and, and after a while, you kind of, I've been with some guys that uh, or, uh, have some friends who are in those kind of, and said, after a while, you, you kind of lose, you kind of just going through the motions. And so our challenge is to do it often enough to where it still is meaningful. Early church celebrated communion. They gave attention to prayer, meaning that they didn't just go through the motions in prayer. They, they, they were consistent and disciplined. And all through the book of Acts, uh, we're, we're going to see that on a regular basis, they met together and they confessed their sins and struggles and they sought God together and they prayed for one another. I mean, there's strength in that. Amen? Luke goes on to say that the early church was reverent, which sounds a little weird, at least to me, uh, but because the word reverent gives me flashbacks to organ music and suits and ties and nobody smiles. The word that Scripture used, everyone was filled with awe. The word awe is, is the word Phobia. It's, it's, we usually transphobia as a fear. For instance, claustrophobia is the fear of, a, of closed places. Uh, hydrophobia is the fear of water. What's this one? Raccoonophobia is the fear of raccoons. Just for those of you keeping track this morning, I caught two more raccoons and one possum this week. And so one by one, they're leaving my yard, going to David Patterson, so... There's all kinds of phobias out there. The, the early church had a fear of God, but it was a different kind of fear. It was more of a respect and, 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 and reverence for God. They were in awe of God's power and might. They didn't take him lightly. You can continue to read there. It says that everyone, or all, everyone around was filled with awe, which indicates that even those outside of the church took notice. 
They, they may not have agreed with, with everything that they were hearing or seeing, but, but they had a respect for the God of the Christians. Which made me question myself this week, that when, when, when people outside of the church, when people outside of Christianity look at our church, or look, look, at, look at our lives, do, do they see something that causes them to want God? When they look at us, does it make them want to run away from God? They were reverent, filled with awe of God's greatness, but, but, but it says that they were also in awe of God's power. And you continue to read, it says, uh, where we're told that the apostles did all kinds of miracles, that every time the, and every time the people saw one of the miracles, it, it, that they were strengthened in their faith. Every time God intervened, they were humbled. And so another question is, do we see signs and wonders? Do signs and wonders happen today? And, and from what... We, we don't see them a whole lot in the U.S., at least the ones is major, but in third world countries, I, I get reports all the time uh, in, in th some third world countries where people are raised from the dead, uh, where there are healings. And, and what I know about third world countries, if you go to Nicaragua and Haiti, you go there and people don't have what we have, so they have to depend on God. But, but have you ever thought about why we don't see these kind of miracles today? And in one Commentary I, I read this week gave several reasons. Uh, number one is that God doesn't want us to come to him because of this show that he puts on. But rather he wants us to come to him because of who he is. I mean, I, know, I read in San Antonio about four or five years ago, there were all kinds, multitudes of people that were showing up at these people's house because there was a tortilla that had Jesus' face on the tortilla. Not too long, just up in northern Missouri, there, there's, there's a nun up there I read about this year that, that has been buried about four years ago, and her body hadn't decayed. They, they unearthed her for some reason. I'm not sure why they'd want to do that, but they did, and she hadn't decayed. And so hundreds of people went up there to see. God's, God doesn't want us to come to him to put on a show. The second thing was, by definition, a miracle is an uncommon occurrence. Which means that if miracles were commonplace, uh, then, then not only would we come to expect them, but we'd probably demand them or feel like we're entitled to them. Another reason why God uh, is that God is doing miracles all the time, we just don't see it. In the early church, they looked for God's hand at work in their midst, whereas today we, we tend to explain away the miraculous. I, don't pay a whole lot of attention to social media, but I did read this week about this famous TikToker who was a, actually she was a Satanist, real, real popular uh, tattoo artist that became a Christian, was baptized this week. I mean, that's pretty, that's a, that's a major miracle there. Another reason why we may not see him is because we don't have enough faith. I mean, it's possible that, 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 that we don't believe sufficiently for God's power to be released. We, we want God to act, but we don't really believe he will. And there, there are probably truth in all four of those reasons, but, but I believe at the end of the day that we need to pray and expect uh, and that, 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 that for God to do miracles, that we are responsible in creating an atmosphere where God can work, meaning that, 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 that we should uh, pray confidently because we know that our God is able to do far more than we can ask, think, or imagine.
And we are to trust completely because God knows what he's doing. And if he chooses to work through a miracle, we will be grateful. If he chooses not to, we will continue to trust that he's doing something deeper and better than merely erasing a difficulty or a pain in our lives. See, a lot of us focus on that, that part of that song he does all, all things, he works together all things for our good. It's, it's a promise out of scripture. We tend to fin- focus more on working things for our good, but, but the, really the, the thing is God's working things for our good for his glory. This isn't our story. We need to be reminded because we get so hung up in that. The last thing the early church made an impact. In fact, make you can see this impact in, in their attitudes. When they met together, they, they met together with glad and sincere hearts. They were a joyful people. <laughs> that doesn't mean everything went right for them. In fact, it was just the opposite. They faced difficulties in an uncertain future, but they did it with joy. So much so that they were thrown, when, when they were thrown into prison, they sang songs and worshiped. As they were tortured, they joyfully gave thanks to God for the privilege to suffer in his name. Even though times were hard, they were having the time of their lives as they honored God with their lives. And as they did, they they, they experienced an uncommon intimacy with God. Verse 47 says they enjoyed the favor of God of all people. That doesn't mean that everybody around them uh, received them, but, but they were viewed favorably. favorably. Now, not because they catered to the world, not because they bowed down to the world, but because of their devotion to God and to, and to each other. That the surrounding community couldn't help but take notice to the love and the compassion and, and the commitment of these people. People were the best neighbors and friends, the best employees to have. They offered unbelievers around them a vision of life that was so beautiful that it took their breath away. It was so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. And then you read the end of that, and it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be a part of a church like that. Not, not just going through the motions. Not, not just serving or giving or doing when it fits into my schedule, but being fully devoted to it. Would you bow your heads for prayer? As we prepare to take communion together, I I want us to take some time just to uh, prepare our hearts. Scripture teaches that that every time we do, we we should examine ourselves, examine our hearts, our motives, before eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. And as we've looked at the early church, we've seen their passion and their level of commitment and their devotion to one another and 
to the Word. And if you're like me, uh, you, you probably saw some things that didn't match up. Maybe there's a lack of spending time in the Word or prayer. Maybe uh, just, just a habit of just kind of neglecting worship. Maybe your view of God isn't what it used to be. You no longer are in awe of God. You're just going through the motions. And so as the music is playing just in the quietness of this moment, would you just search your heart? Would you just examine it? Say, God, would you show me my heart? Examine your relationships. And if there's any sin in your life, take care of it. If there's a relationship in the, that needs to be restored, I want to give you time to do that. If you need to go to someone and make things right, go. But in a moment, we're going to begin to sing. And as we do, we'll pass out the elements. take communion together. But as Jordan begins to play, would you just take some time say, God, show me my heart.
reminded that the early church would meet together in one another's houses and in that room was a mixed group of people some in the room were slaves they were just ordinary people they're, they're, some of them were having a hard time just like this room some being persecuted some slandered some sick in body some may even sick in mind but they were one They were, they were going through this weary, evil world with the world and the flesh and the devil coming against them on a daily basis. And as they did it, they broke bread together. And as they did, they remembered not only what Jesus had done for them, but what he was going to do. They lifted up their heads and they said, we are the children of God. We are destined for glory. We are joint heirs with Jesus. And one day, he will take us to be with himself, and we'll spend eternity with him in his glorious presence. As we take communion, we're remembering Christ and all that he's done in this life through his death and resurrection. On that night, when Jesus gathered together with his disciples on the last time he took some bread he said as a just an option lesson said this bread is my body that was broken for you so take the bread eat it as you do in remembrance of me Then he took a cup of the wine and he gave thanks and he offered it to them. And he says, drink from it, and all of it. And as you do, remember that this blood, my blood is the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. As you do, do this and remember to me. Father, we thank you sacrifice we thank you for your love Heavenly Father may our lives reflect that gratitude Father we, we can be devoted to all kinds of things but Father would you make sure that we're devoted for what you gave your life for Show us what our next step is. Sing that last verse together. When breath grows still and
If I'm honest with you, there, there are days when I don't feel like I can make it. In fact, like there's been a lot of those days in the last few months. And so, God, help us to remember that. Help us to remember that, that we are to call upon you. That you've, you've given us people to walk with through this, this weary, trouble-filled world that's constantly coming against us. God, help us not to take that for granted. Help us to show up and be present so not only we can grow, but we can help others grow and be strengthened. Thank you for this church family, Lord. God, may you use us as we're walking out into the mission field. May you use us your glory. God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.